once again. Lord, as we open your scriptures, your holy word, how you've revealed yourself through special revelation to us, we pray that we would find it just that, specific and special, and uh, that would build our life, Lord, as we just sang, um, upon your great love for us, the firm foundation of Jesus Christ. You tell us that you are love, and so we're so grateful for that. Help us to draw deep from who you are, in Jesus' name. Amen. So Matthew chapter 17, Matthew 5, let's read verses 17 through 20. That's all we're going to get through today. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, first of all, we need to pause and say, who's his audience here, right? So he is a Jew. Jesus is a Jew. He's talking to the religious leaders, and he doesn't want, he, he wants them to know his, his idea was not to come actually remove the law because the law is actually beneficial because it shows us the number one, the, the, the character of God, the standard of God, and number two, our desperate need for God to intervene on our behalf. And so he's kind of telling them, look, the greatest in the kingdom is going to be the one who can keep the whole law. Guess who that is? He's like, I'm talking to you. It's me. Um, and so we just need to understand that a lot of people, um, and Paul addresses this in Romans, well, now that I'm in Jesus Christ, I can do whatever I want. It's like, no, there's still a natural law and consequences that God has placed in this world, that just the way things work, you can't just go against it. Um, now, can you be saved and forgiven of all your wrongs and all that stuff? True. But uh, Paul says uh, that, that we should not... Should, he says, so should grace or should sins abound so that grace can superabound? He goes, no. But at the same time, he says, but I realize that there's a law within me. There's a fight between the spirit and the flesh and the things I want to do. I find myself not doing the things I don't want to do. I find myself doing who will save me. Okay. So that's, that is a great picture of the law. I, I want to do what's right. But the more I try, I find myself still failing. I do better. I mean, but again, then I can't take credit for that. It's like, well, God's working in me. That's the only reason I'm doing better. So why the law? So we're going to look at a couple of, of reasons for the law to, tonight. Um, the first we want to talk about, there's three laws that Jesus would be talking about with his audience here. Um, as far as the whole law, ceremonial law, uh, dietary law, and then moral law. Now, Upon the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, uh, the moral law is really the only one that still stays. Ceremonial law and dietary law really do not apply anymore. Um, now, can we practice some of those things? Are they beneficial? They can be, right? They can be uh, like the festivals that we do. You know, we celebrate, uh, you know, Passover. We celebrate uh, uh, the Holy Trinity and things like this. They didn't do that in the Old Testament. But, you know, we, pra- we, we, we do these certain things that are beneficial, but they're not a requirement. We're not under obligation to do those things anymore, but they still are beneficial. 
Um, and, and so again, we see Jesus with Peter uh, saying uh, he's having a vision um, and the, the sheet comes down and it shows all these animals that were forbidden. And he says, go ahead and kill any. And Peter's like, no, I can't do that because this is what makes me righteous. And he goes, no, don't. Now that I've fulfilled the law for you, that doesn't matter anymore. The moral law, however, still stays the same. There's still some things we can't do. So ceremonial law, let's go over that, is no longer binding. So some of the reasons for the ceremonial law was, uh, number one, I think, was to distinguish the people of God as separate from pagan nations. Um, all nations had practices that they did. They had certain festivals, certain worship types that they did. Um, and so ceremonial laws were those things that God said, this is, makes you distinctive. And so we look at even in churches, there are certain distinctives that people go, okay, this is what this certain church is. So Lutheran church, we um, our distinctive is the doctrine of the sola, sola fide, so sola, or so faith alone, grace alone, and um, scripture alone. And then they added Christ alone a little bit later. But those four things, really, I mean, that's what we hold to. Um, Our practice might be different from church to church, but what distinguishes us is our doctrine, what we believe. Um, One of the things that shows is we're a creedal church. Not all Lutheran church say a creed every week, though, just so you know. Um, There are some that don't. Very few, but there's some that don't. And so, but the whole point is it's, it's a distinctive. So when I was with Calvary Chapel, one of the things as pastors that we had to become very familiar with was a book called Calvary Distinctives. And it was really what, what, what held us together in association with one another is these are the things we're holding to and believing in together that's common. Um, and so clubs can have that, right? What does a club look like? You know, a gym membership. Each gym has their own feel to it. Each community has their distinctive in the way they practice things. But the ceremonial laws were for, as God called Abram out into the land of the Chaldeans, uh, was now I'm going to create a nation out of you. You guys are going to hold these ceremonial laws that say there's only one God. And it's going to separate you from the rest of the pagan nations. That's one of the things. Also, it's for sanctification, which is the same idea. Sanctification is set apart for God. Um, And so um, it would include ceremonial law, would include how to dress, what to wear, festivals and ceremonies, obviously, and et cetera, and things like that. So let's look at Leviticus, your favorite, 1927. (laughs) But I think when we look at... um, at some of these things, it gives us some, if we're looking at, okay, why did Jesus, why did God in, institute these things? Leviticus, Leviticus 19.27. This was, again, to separate them as a people unto himself, apart from the rest of the nations. So 19.27, you shall not round off the hair on your temples or mar the edges of your beard. Okay, so even today, you go over there, long beards, and they have these long, right around here, this hair that comes down and curls. Yes? I am. I know you have. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> Tara's, Tara's not here, so the joke isn't as funny. Okay. No, so, so you, you see that people, that, that um, really practicing Jews still follow this over in Israel because they say we have to live by the law. Now, wouldn't it be crazy if you come to Jesus and we're like, okay, so now, God, women, you have to have, you know, 
your your head covered all the time. And 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 men, you got to start growing your beards as long as you can and the curly cues on their temples. Well, you know, we're not under that anymore. These are one of the laws that that again, because of Jesus Christ, they're no longer binding. Uh, Leviticus 15. Go back a couple chapters, 28 and thir- through 30. I, said, I knew we'd have mostly women at this study, so I figured we'd pick this one. Um, let's start at verse 25. He says 13, Leviticus? Uh, 15. 15. Let's go to verse 25 through uh, 30. Why not? If a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, not at the time of her menstrual impurity, or if she has a discharge beyond the time of her impurity, all the days of the discharge she shall continue in uncleanness, as in the days of her impurity she shall be unclean. Every bed on which she lies, all the days of her discharge shall be to her as the bed of her impurity, and everything on which she sits shall be unclean, as in the uncleanness of her menstrual impurity. And whoever touches these things shall be unclean, and shall wash his clothes, and bathe himself in water, and be unclean until the evening." But if she is cleansed of her discharge, she shall count for herself seven days, and after that she shall be clean. And on the eighth day she shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons and bring them to the priest to the entrance of the tenth of meeting. And the priest shall use one for a sin offering and one for the burnt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for her before the Lord for her unclean discharge. Okay, so there was ceremonial law around menstrual cycles, I mean, you know, and other impurities. Uh, now we know that other things that they said is put the women outside the camp for seven days uh, and uh, and things like that. And, but again, some of this was to to, to yes. Sorry. No. So was this like common practice? Did they really have to do this every month? Yeah. Yeah. Was, was there enough doves for this? Like apparently. This, this <laughs> apparently, it's keep keep laying eggs, keep laying eggs and hatching. Uh, so, so the whole idea here, though, is, is again, um, part of this is actually just really good hygiene for the day. Um, it gave them attention to make sure that, they, that things were clean and that people understood um, uh, somewhat to, to just be, you know, careful. <laughs> um, but again, uh, a lot of the ceremonial laws um, have to do with, again, that the pagan nations wouldn't do this. Uh, before this, it talks about it's not right for a man to lie with a woman while she's having discharge. The pagan nations would, you know, all the time, anytime, right? And so, uh, well, maybe you don't know. You probably weren't there. But, um, <laughs> but that's just the way they were. Leviticus 5, let's go back a little more. Eighteen and nineteen. Uh, let's go to 17, why not? If anyone sins, doing any of the things that by the Lord's commandments ought not to be done, though he did not know it, then realizes his guilt, he shall bear his iniquity. He shall bring to the priest a ram without blemish out of the flock or its equivalent for guilt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him for the mistake that he made unintentionally and he shall be forgiven. It is a guilt offering. He has indeed incurred guilt before the Lord. Ceremony. Ceremony to show that I'm forgiven. Right? Well, we have an advocate, Jesus the righteous. We don't need to, to present uh, and sacrifice over and over again because Jesus has done it once and for all. Um, but this was, there was a lot of bloodshed. 
when you when in the south steps, I think it's the south steps, uh, where we know Jesus stood, there's these big troughs on the side of of the steps, and they would those troughs are there because they would pour just gallons upon gallons of water to wash all the blood off of the stop uh, off of the steps, and these troughs would catch the water like gutters would on the side. So it's pretty interesting. So let's jump into um, dietary law. So the dietary law was twofold. Some of it was to actually sustain the nation. Um, there was uh, there were diseases that a lot of the kings would incur. Um, we know that the gout is considered a rich man's disease. Uh, and, and so some of the things that, G, that God put on the, the dietary laws were actually to sustain them so they could be, they flourish as a nation. Now, these are no longer binding, which is so good because we blew it last Sunday at, thanks, at uh, Thanksgiving, at Easter with all the pig that we ate. Um, so we're really happy about that because bacon is good. Um, not the health, but, but just think about it. It's not the healthiest for you, right? If you ate a lot of bacon all the time, your arteries or your cholesterol levels and your arteries probably aren't going to be great. Uh, so, so again, a little bit is okay though at the right time. Um, um, also the dietary law, again, used to sustain and pro- proliferate life. So it was used to make sure they were healthy and they could beget healthy people. Well, yeah, 120. Yeah. Uh, also, it, again, another thing that separated them from pagan nations. You know, sorry, we can't eat that. Even today, right? What's kosher, what's not? Uh, and so we still see that, that if someone wants to eat kosher, we know they have been sep- they're, they're probably a practicing Jew. And you're like, wow, they are still separated. Now we are separated because of what Christ has done on our behalf. Um, but then we have this idea of food that is clean versus unclean. So Leviticus 11, 1 through 3. Leviticus 11, verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying to them, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, These are the living things that you may eat among all the animals that are on the earth. Whatever parts the hoof and is cloven-footed and chews the cud among the animals you may eat. Nevertheless, among those that chew the cud or part the hoof, you shall not eat these. The camel, because it chews the cud but does not part the hoof, is unclean to you. So chewing the cud is the big thing here, right? If they have you know, split hoof and they chew the cud, no go, right? So, um, and so we need to understand that this is, this, that there's, again, it's, it's dietary sense for the Lord to do this because he wanted, uh, did he know that they were going to be wandering in the wilderness? Did he know that, that, that these things would um, help a nation be healthier? Absolutely. Uh, and so we look at, again, we have many diets out there that try to go back to some of these dietary things. Uh, the Mediterranean diet kind of moves toward that. The problem with Americans, I'm going to say this, it doesn't matter what diet you go on, you still have to have portion control. So, <laughs> you know, whoo, I can eat all the whatever, you know. I had three pounds of almonds today. Okay, so... Um, <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> You, got a lot of you know, hey. Uh, Leviticus 11, 9 through 10. So same, same chapter, 9 through 10. These you may eat 
of all that are in the waters, everything in the waters that has fins and scales, whether in the seas or in the rivers, you may eat. But anything in the seas or the rivers that, that has not fins and scales of the swarming creatures in the waters of the living creatures that are in the waters is detestable to you. Okay, so they couldn't eat shrimp. They couldn't eat calamari. Yeah. Uh, anything that a lot, you know, like you think of lobster and things like that, that is a delicacy to, a, to us. Ooh, lobster to a lot of people. Or crab, they couldn't eat it. Well, again, I'm going back to, going back to the rich man's disease was gout. And gout often is caused by shellfish. Well, and I, all yeah. the iodine right. and everything. Right, right. So, uh, overindulge. Yeah, some people, you know, you know beef and, and, not so much pig, but beef and, and, uh, and shellfish is a big trigger for gout. Again, keeping their arteries, uh, you know. Well, and then wasn't it also thought that those bottom-dwelling type of fish were dirty and... Well, I believe I still think that, but yeah. <laughs> like they, yeah, yeah. they would... They would within they would themselves help you know proliferate disease. And well, it was more God say you use this is how you're going to eat now. So um, yeah, I, I'm assuming again it's one of those things. The healthiest food, the cleanest food, is what he was having them do for a time. Again, the biggest thing is though to separate them as a nation from the other nations. That's the biggest reason. Now, the advantage of that, it does help healthier people. That does help proliferate. Of course, they were walking all the time. They got their steps in, right? So that really helped. Huh. Deuteronomy 14, verse 8. D-E-U-T, Deuteronomy 14, verse 8. So let's go back to 7 because remember, we're talking about the things that you can eat. So verse 7 of Deuteronomy 14 Yet of those that chewed the cud or have the hoof cloven, you shall not eat these, the camel, the hare, so no rabbit, the rock badger. Oh, so those little badgers that I guess we can't have any uh, whistling pigs that run around here. Uh, Rock badger, because they chew the cud, but do not part the hoof, they are unclean for you. And the pig, because it parts the hoof, but does not chew the cud, it is unclean to you. Their flesh you shall not eat, their carcasses you shall not touch. All right, so again, has the, the split hoof, but doesn't chew the cud, so can't have it, yeah. What does that mean, chew the cud? So, um, reg- so a lot of them would regurgitate what they ate and chew it more and get more nutrients out of whatever they just ate. So cows, if you it will... They will, have four stomachs. They'll chew, they'll, they'll eat grass, swallow it, back up. Chew it some more, swallow it again. Don't give us the (laughs) Thank you. Once it hits the fourth stomach, that's it. Right. So it's getting all the, it's it's a part of how they digest food. But uh, yeah, yeah, right? Mm, Gross. So, yes. Do you think, because when I read the Old Testament and I see the names of all the animals that they clear back there, how did they name them? I mean, Uh, Adam named them all. And, and that, so it's been like that forever. Well, I look at it this way. How do you get street names? Someone's like, uh, hey, we're going to call it this street now. Okay. So, you know, it just becomes... But at, all the animals were brought to Adam in the, in the Genesis account. And again, he named them. Now, again, all the different variation of species that we get out of the, you know... I mean, I'm sure he's like, dog, 
bovine, <laughs> you know, whatever. And then, and then people started naming the specific, you know, types of, usually from the region they would come from or something like that. But yeah, we blame Adam for these names. He gets so it wasn't translations that they, when they translate, I keep thinking, well, maybe the, the Jews had a name for a horse that's different than what our name is. Well, they would. I mean, it would be a different language, but it would, the translation is correct. It would be what we would call a horse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They didn't. I don't think they ate horse either. So, uh, <laughs> um, so again, what we need to understand too, overarching, and this is why Jesus includes this in Matthew. It's really a matter of the heart. How do I want to obey God? Do I have the desire to? Because there, I mean, there were people that didn't follow this law. Um, in fact, even in, 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 you see when they're traveling in the wilderness, there's, there's just some, some rebellion going on. And so not everyone wanted to follow us because it's really a matter of the heart. And that's what Jesus is trying to get across to the people, to the religious Pharisees. is like, you guys are doing all these things on the outside, but your heart is really what God cares about. Um, and so look at all these outside things you're doing, but in order to follow them, you really have to have a heart after God. So we look at Jeremiah 17, 9. Someone's going to find it. Oh, there. Yeah, Jeremiah 17, 9 says... The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? You look at our world today and you're like, yeah, it's pretty sick out there. It's, it's wicked. It's, it's, uh, it's darkened, right? It's, it, there's just no, you just look at it and go, yeah, this is true. And that's why when you, uh, these, uh, just trust, just follow your heart. Like, mm. If it's an unredeemed heart, I probably, you probably don't want to follow it. It's probably going to lead you somewhere a little bit astray. Ezekiel 36, 26. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. So again, even in the Old Testament, God is, is foreshadowing the, the, the change of heart that needs to happen. Um, and so you can keep all these laws, which you really couldn't. I mean, there's no way when you look at all these laws that someone's not going to mess up somewhere. Um, whoops, I'm shaving, you know, my head. Uh-oh. <laughs> Too far. Uh, oh, no. You know, and there's no glue. or <laughs> Anyway. And then back a couple chapters to Ezekiel eleven nineteen. <clears throat> Sounds very similar, Ezekiel eleven nineteen. And I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. And so we know that we have the heart of God, right? Is what he gives us. So we all, have, we all share the heart of God that he has given us. But these ceremonial and these dietary laws are really to point us to our need for Jesus. Because, uh, you, you know, I messed up. Do I go take a, 
Or do I wait a few weeks to go have the guilt offering done on my behalf? Or do I make, oh, I waited that long. I'll wait, you know, some more. No big deal. I'll wait till I get a Yeah, let me, let me get... <laughs> and here's a herd. Please take care of it for me. Right? Uh, and a flock of seagulls. No, it wouldn't be seagulls. It would be doves. But, uh, so, but, but when we... When we yeah, it's, come on, bigger bang for your buck. But again, these laws point to Jesus and how he came, right? He tells us in Matthew that we just read, I, I didn't come to abolish it, I came to fulfill it. Jesus actually did everything according to the letter of the law. Um, and what's interesting is, but he also brought the heart of the law, right? You've heard that phrase, well, the spirit of the law. Well, okay, he had the actual letter of the law and the spirit of the law, which is about a heart for God. Um, and that's what he was accusing all these, the religious leaders of is you guys are putting burdens on people. You are saying it's only about your outward actions and what you do. And that's not God's intention. God's intention has always been a relationship, right? We see in the garden, that's what he wanted, a relationship with us. Yes, Connie. Is he talking about the Holy Spirit when he's talking about the heart of God? Yeah. When I say that, sure. Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. And this is where we see clarification on the ceremonial and the dietary law from the Apostle Paul. And remember, the Apostle Paul, before he had his encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, was a, was a, a, a religious zealot for the law. I mean, he, he probably was one of the ones that kept it better than than a lot of people because of how zealous he was for the law um not that he kept it completely because he even admits i, I was the chief of sinners so obviously he didn't keep it correctly but colossians 2 16 and 17 therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or sabbath so there's dietary and ceremonial right there don't let them question you about that these are a shadow of things to come but the substance belongs to Christ. Again, he's saying, look, these are a shadow that show us that Jesus is the one that we are moving towards in all of this. And so now that then gets us to the moral law because Jesus did not remove the moral law. The moral law is still intact. And so let's look at that because the moral law is based upon the character of God. So God's not going to change his character um, at all. Um, but because we have the spirit of God, the very heart of God that he has given to us, then his character. And so one of the things I often say is that the Holy Spirit is working the very disposition of Christ into each one of us. So if we want to know what the work of the Holy Spirit is doing, let's look at Jesus. What, how did Jesus act? What did Jesus do? That's what the, the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives. So Exodus chapter 20. And I want us, when we look at Exodus chapter 20, um, I want us to understand that this is about the heart. And I also want you to understand it's about the character of God. Uh, and so a lot of times, and that's why as Lutherans, we go through and we, and we, with a small catechism goes through the Ten Commandments because they reveal the character of God. I do find though, if you try to keep the Ten Commandments, you realize I blow it quite often. 
Um, not as not you know not, that's not like every moment of every day, but sometimes I'm like, oh man, I guess I coveted. Oh man, I, I didn't honor God. I, I something else I idolized for a moment, you know, or something like that. Uh, so um, Exodus chapter twenty. Let's read one through seventeen. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work or you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. So this is the character of God, this is the heart of God, and we know that, that we, we go through in, in the New Testament, and Jesus calls him out. He says, even if you look at lust upon a woman... You, you've committed that adultery with her. Even if, you, if, you, if you're mad at a brother um, and you're angry with him and you wish they were dead, you might as, you've, you've committed the sin because it's a heart issue. You, know, you can do everything right on the outside, but it, it's a heart issue. You, we've known those people that look great on the outside. Man, they're this, they're this, and then you find out, whoa, there's a whole different life that they have because the outside looked great. I was really good. I looked great on Sunday mornings and, and at home with the family when I was a kid. But I, there was no heart change. I just knew, I, I knew how to act well um, and, and play the game. And, and so, uh, but my heart was not changed. My heart was not changed. So we have the moral law. So a couple things about the moral law. First of all, uh, it explains what sin is. So even if we just took the Ten Commandments, God's like, if you want to know what sin is, look at these things. Don't have any other God before me. That's sin. Don't murder. Don't, don't steal. Don't uh, make sure you honor your father or mother. If you don't, that's a sin. Uh, so it's just these, these simple things. I would say simple because they're not simple, right? Because it's a heart issue. But these are just, this explains what sin is. The second thing is it exposes our sin. Because the reality is, and when I look at this list, uh, even if I think I've done all of it, if I were to be honest, I'm like, well, hmm, yeah, I stole, or yeah, I took credit for something that I didn't actually do, said it was my idea. Um, you know, I, have I coveted uh, 
other cars that people drive cars now, not donkeys, right? So, you know, do, do I wish I, you know, are their house? Absolutely. You know, we, we have those moments where we do that. We live in a world, especially in Western America, um, we, we live in a world that everything's about comparison, right? I mean, look at that, not a huge indictment, but look at the housing market right now. I mean, people are, are like, well, they sold it for that. I can sell it for more. <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> okay. And it's insane. Uh, you know, we're talking about our neighbors. They, they probably can't afford the house out on the, on the property because the property costs have gone up so much. I mean, you look at, at less than an acre is, is like 100 grand, 79 to 100 grand right now out in the middle of nowhere. And, and if you get closer to town and you have a lot, the lots are going for 120. And you're just like, that's, the, and that's what's called in the appraisal, the site value. And you're like, that is insane. And the site value is almost equal to the cost of building a home now. Um, and, and so in a market, you go, that's just, that's, that's not wise. That's just not good. Um, so hold on, because within 10 years, anyway, I'm not going to be, uh, it, we've go, you know, America goes in cycles. Um, and we're starting to see some stuff that was happening in the late 70s, early 80s with interest rates. Banks are going to get greedy start giving money to people who can't afford it. Uh, and then, and then at two, in 2042, they're going to be like, everything's going to crash. And they're like, what happened? The same thing that happened back. So, you know, anyway, it seems good for a time. So um, let's look at Galatians. Uh, oh, oh, the third thing. So number one, it, expo- it explains what sin is. Number two, it exposes our sin. And number three, it expresses our need for a savior. Um, so that's what the moral law does. So we look even just at, again, just at the Ten Commandments, shows me what sin is, clearly. Okay, this is what sin is. Then it says uh, um, that uh, I'm a sinner. Whoops. And then it says, guess what? You need a Savior because you can't do this on your own. So Galatians chapter 3. Is that seven <laughs> uh, Paul's letter to the church in Galatia. Is that better? Uh, chapter, chapter, three? chapter three. Um, bear with me. I think it's worth reading the whole thing. Oh, sorry. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness? Now, when then, that is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham, and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Now, let's understand something here. One of the, the signs that you were a Jew was circumcision. And, but yet here, what Paul is trying to explain is Abraham was accredited righteousness by his faith. God called him righteous by his faith 14 years, we're told, before circumcision was ever 
um, instituted. So Paul's saying, look, we know that children of Abraham are children of God by faith, not by the works of the law. People at the church of Galatia, they had some Jews in there who were saying, well, Jesus is great, but you still need to keep the dietary and ceremonial law. And so he's saying, what are you trying to do here? It's not about that. It's an issue of the heart. Verse 10, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all these things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith, but the law is not of faith rather. The one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hanged on a tree, so that in Christ the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. That new heart. He's giving us the heart of flesh. To give a human example, brothers, even when a man made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one. Again, we had the Jews in the church who were wanting to keep the Gentiles separate. And he's like, no, 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 no. Anyone by faith is under the same thing. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not, okay, after Abraham, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. Again, you can't earn it. You can't earn an inheritance. It's a gift given to you. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek there is neither slaves nor free there is no male and female for you are all one in Christ Jesus and if you are Christ's then you are Abraham's offspring heirs according to the promise so this is just Paul saying <laughs> you know the law the ceremonial law the dietary law is out the door Now, the moral law, which is the character of God, has now been placed within you because of Jesus Christ. And so that still is intact because the very character and nature of God has been given to you. So go way back. You've been set apart. So we as believers have been set apart, not because of the works of ceremonial or dietary law, but because of the work of Christ. Genesis chapter 12. Lot to take in. Genesis 12. Verses 1 through 3. 
we see a great correlation to what Jesus does when he calls us to be his own. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now one thing we need to understand very clearly is when God calls Abram out, there's no Jewish nation at this point in time. And so he calls Abram out and he says, because of you, everyone's going to be blessed. And then what happens is the nation grows and they grow and God you know, gives them laws and they grow. And now they become identified as those who keep God's laws and not those who were called out by God. We have been called out and set apart by God. First Chronicles 23, 13. Sure. Um, I really like that it says, in you all the families of uh, the earth shall be blessed, instead of everyone. Because I think it's consistent that, you know, faith kind of goes with the family. Yeah. All the families. 23.13. So, the sons of Amram... Amram, Aaron and Moses. Aaron was set apart to dedicate the most holy things that he and his sons forever should make offerings before the Lord and minister to him and pronounce blessings in his name forever. Now we see the beginning of the, the priestly line. Okay, Nehemiah twelve forty seven. Hold on, I'm going to make hopefully a connection. Nehemiah, shortest man in the Bible, by the way. Uh, Nehemiah twelve forty seven. Shortest man. Shortest man. Nehemiah. Okay, you're a dad. You can use that joke. Uh, <laughs> Nehemiah twelve forty seven. And all Israel in the days of Zerubbabel and in the days of Nehemiah gave the daily portions for the singers and the gatekeepers. And they set apart that which was for the Levites. And the Levites set apart that which was for the sons of Aaron. So again, the priests had these things set apart for them. Psalm 4 verse 3. So we're seeing this idea that God's always setting stuff apart for use unto him. Psalm 4 verse 3. But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call him. The Lord has set apart the godly for himself. He set apart the priests to do the work unto him. 1 Peter 2.9 And now we start bringing it together. We hope. First Peter 2.9 Speaking to both Jews and Gentiles, Peter says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So God has set us apart. God has called us out. 1 Corinthians 6.11, we'll end with this. So um, a big challenge in the Christian church over the years has been this idea of sanctification. Sanctification is merely set apart 
for God. And so many churches will tell you that um, it's your responsibility to set us yourself apart for God. Many churches will tell you that justification, yes, is by faith alone, all of God's work, but sanctification, guess what? You got to do stuff to be sanctified. Um, and so many of us have grown up in churches and been in traditions that are that way, and it's exhausting. Um, it is, um, you, you, it's, it's very works-oriented. Am I doing enough to be sanctified? Am I doing enough to grow in Christ? Am I doing what I'm supposed to do so that I can be set apart for the Lord? 1 Corinthians 6, verse 11. And such were some of you. Well, let's go back. Verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were, listen to the language, you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So what I love about the language of this, and I, I came upon this before I was in Lutheranism, because <laughs> I was like really fighting, trying to be good enough. And when I read this, I'm like, okay, so that's past tense. It's done. I, justification I get. But I were. Now, if you look at the wording here, it could be translated, but you have been sanctified. And so that frees me then to live for the Lord and not think that I have to prove his favor or earn his favor. It just says I can live for the Lord. And now because he's given me that new heart, he's given me the very heart of God. All I get to do is let it out. I get, you know, bright colored nails. No, <laughs> but I mean, but there's a joy that comes with that, Connie, in all seriousness, that, that shows your, your, your love of life. I mean, you, you know, it, and, and that's not normal. Uh, it's not normal for people to have joy. It's not normal for people to, to really have a hope for the future. I mean, it's tough. We have times, I think all of us do, where we're like, whew, man, this world, just take me now, Lord. I'm done with it, right? Uh, you know, there's times. You're just, I, I'm, I, I can't handle this anymore. And how much worse can it get? Uh, but yet God has seen fit to say, no, I've sanctified you. I've set apart. Why did he set apart the nation of Israel? A no, couple reasons. Number one was to distinguish them as a people for himself. They were the only nation that said, hero Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord your God is one. Right? When we gather together, we profess the Trinity that there's one God. And so we gather together and we set apart. That sets us apart as Christians. We're set apart for God, contrary to the, the world. And he has done that for us. And so what's exciting is that the pressure is always off of us. And that is a freeing thing. Now, does that mean that I can just go be a Yahoo and do whatever I want? Well, I don't need to try to do that. I do that naturally, right? But, but what it means is I get to respond now to the, to the work that God has done in me and through me. And I get to live now. Because of what he's done, I'm no longer in darkness. I have been set apart as a, as a priest, a holy nation unto God. And the challenge we have in the church is people don't believe that. All right? We don't believe that. 
Um, and my prayer, of how many years now have I talked about um, that the church has an identity crisis because we are set apart for God. We see this foreshadowing as he did with the nation of Israel. and We see the fulfillment, the complete substance in Christ. So let's pray. Lord, thank you so much. Thank you that you have done it all. Lord, I pray that we would realize that um, you've, you've foreshadowed, you set apart your nation, Lord, but as you set apart Abram, it was to bless all the families, all the nations and all the families in the world. And you fulfilled that in Christ. And so, Lord, we're so grateful. Thanks so much for your goodness to us. In Jesus' name, amen.